Hello and welcome to the only podcast that prefers Final Draft over the Final Order. I'm Matt. I'm Luke. And I'm Max. And this is Force for Thought. And fi- Final Draft is a screenwriting software. <laughs> oh. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome back to Force for Thought. Uh, today we are pitching a new trilogy. Uh, this is not in lieu of the sequel trilogy or anything. This is purely for where Star Wars should go next. Um, that's how I took it when I came up with this idea. Did you guys also take it like that? I have yeah. a feeling we will have interpreted it differently. <laughs> I interpreted <laughs> it similarly. <laughs> okay. what I want to see uh, out of a next Star Wars trilogy. Yes, kind of where we should go. Max, how it's, did you interpret it? Just off the bat. I... It's a really fun prompt. So I'll give this disclaimer that the trilogy that I'm about to talk about that I'm going to pitch is not an actual trilogy that I would pitch if Lucasfilm said, I need an honest suggestion for an entire trilogy of movies. So knowing because... California and Pennsylvania are like our top two states, you decided <laughs> to not take Dave the- Dave in PA, baby. And you decided not to take the problem seriously. Got it. Okay, continue. Because- because I feel like I, I don't have the amount of time to go over everything that I would want to include in an entire trilogy, which would largely be all new characters, places, plots, and everything like that. So yeah. I, I kind of did um, something a lot more fan fiction-y, which, I mean, technically all of this that we're about to talk about yeah. would be considered fan fiction. But there's a wide range of fan fiction, right? There's like the more serious, grounded fan fiction that's like, okay, if Lucasfilm wanted to make this, they could actually make this. And then there's like the uh, Han Solo is actually a Sith Lord Which is where fiction. you went, I assume. I went like a little bit more in that direction, but not like fully that way. You, sure. You'll see when I get there. It's is- mostly just like a hodgepodge of like 10 things I've already brought up on pod, just kind of like mushed together. I just have like a bunch of very specific itches that I really wanted to scratch with this. And that's basically what it turned out to be. Well, I was going to pitch mine first, but now I feel like I'll just be waiting to hear yours the whole time. So why why don't you (laughs) go first? Yeah, I agree. And also before we start too, some criteria that I originally pitched. So we'll see if anybody hits these as well. But again, we're going for, the new trilogy pitch of what the what Star Wars should do next, right? Obviously, the Skywalker saga um, is is presumably done with in this capacity, right? No longer going to see uh, Luke <laughs> Max. I, you're, I know you're going back to it. I'm just saying realistically, this they're done. So what is going to happen next? Again, this is the original idea, right? But it's kind of things we could, we're considering right here is we're what's the story, right? Um, what are the characters, what's the setting, what's the ton of the tone, the vibe and the style of everything. And some bonus things too, is just like who would direct this piece, right? What is the cast and what is the music? And I don't see anything else you want to tell us about, especially with like, uh, maybe it's because I like like directors and, and the movie, like inside business stuff too. But, um, you know, every director has like a different vision and can bring your story to life. Uh, and so I kind of wanted to see that aspect. If anybody had like any hardcore preferences, um, same thing with music, you know, who's, who's the best composer out there who, for, for this job, if there is going to be a new trilogy, is there going to, do we want someone that's more of a new John Williams? Do we want to do a whole new thing? So that's what I'm excited to see what you guys said, or maybe lack thereof within those, but you know, I know I got a couple of those notes I can hit on. I'll tell you now beforehand, I in- I intended for yes. the tone of these three movies to get darker over time, like Harry Potter, how the first one's like very light and fun, and then the yes. last one's like very dark. Um, but you have to do it in three movies instead of eight. <laughs> correct. So it gets jarred. It's doable. There's a pretty big jump between one and two. Um, You're going from like Dumb and Dumber to like Requiem for a Dream. I was imagine I would say Harry more... gets assassinated at the end of Dumb and Dumber, and then Lloyd has to live with it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was confused because you said Harry after Harry Potter, but yes, Harry and Harry and Lloyd. I was just like, well, no, that, yeah, that's dumb and dumber lore. Yes, what a bad movie uh, movie to mention on my part, knowing that I, Harry I, is part of that. So imagine like the first one being directed by like Chris Columbus, right? The guy who did the first Harry Potter movie, and then the yeah. last one directed and by Quentin Tarantino. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> All right, Max, let's uh, sit, hit us with your pitch for uh, the next Star Wars trilogy and where we should go. All right. From here. Like I said, I've kind of talked about this before on the pod multiple times. It is the Knights of the Hidden Path trilogy. So I will go through my uh, synopses that I have for these movies, um, starting with episode one. Kelleran Beck is running a peaceful sanctuary for Force Sensitives when an Inquisitor shows up. Kelleran Beck is able to save the sanctuary's residents uh, and get the residents evacuated while he holds off the Inquisitor and eventually kills him. Kelleran Beck is then required to seek out other former Jedi to assist in protecting the path as the attacks have begun to become more frequent. Beck eventually enlists Quinlan Voss, Cal Kestis, and a recently redeemed Reva. All four of which I feel like makes perfect sense because they already have like some sort of connection to the path, right? Kelleran Beck makes sense to be the one who founded it, mm. uh, being what we know from his two seconds on screen in Mandalorian, being the one who saved Grogu. Um, perfect person to lead the trilogy. <laughs> Guy who's on screen for two seconds. Exactly. And think about the redemption that that would be for Ahmed yeah, Best. I agree. Um, and Quinlan Voss, who uh, we know is associated with the path from the Kenobi show. Reva, who's obviously associated with the Kenobi show as well. And Cal Kestis, who um, I don't know his the level of his knowledge about the path, but it was brought up in Jedi Survivor or Fallen Order. Uh, Jedi Survivor. It's it's heavy knowledge. That's a big plot point in Jedi Survivor, and he is deeply involved with it. There you go. So it, they all, the four of them make sense, yeah. right? And I really wanted to do an ensemble movie because I feel like a lot of the things that we've been seeing recently is kind of like following a single character, yes. and I wanted to do something with a lot of people. Um, continuing... Uh, we see Vader storm through Fortress Inquisitorius and confronts the Grand Inquisitor. Vader is upset and says another Inquisitor has failed under the Grand Inquisitor's tutelage and demands his own Inquisitor to train properly. Grand Inquisitor gives Vader a new member of the Inquisitorius, a human named Galen Merrick. Going back, this is another thing I've talked a lot about on the podcast. Galen Merrick, a.k.a. Starkiller from the Force Unleashed video games. He was Darth Vader's secret apprentice, played by Sam Witwer in the video games. Mm -hmm. And they're great video games. It's a really great character. I'm bringing him into live action. So, real quick, just to do top level. So, you're, so the new trilogy would take place somewhere between the prequel, the sequel trilogy and the... No, not, the, not that. It would take place, what, before... The original trilogy? It would take place shortly. I'm trying to think of the timeline between Kenobi and Solo, because it would take place sometime there, after them. Kenobi and Solo take place at the same time, and it's nine years after, or ten years after Revenge of the Sith, nine years before A New Hope. So, so there you go. Bless your soul for knowing. Roughly that. nine years before A New Hope. Interesting. So you, so as a trilogy, you want to go backwards even more and then go forward so. yes. age of age of the empire the galactic empire yes, yes. the entire the trilogy era. would take place in that's in that very okay. short time frame sure. but a lot happens yeah. would, you, would you say that's your favorite era um i guess we can talk about it later did you also choose your favorite era matt no i, I but guess that is because i think for a new trilogy you have to do something different i mean we can talk about this later obviously you, you again you took this you in a, something different in a different in, in an way era we're familiar with i absolutely sure. agree with that though and like i said if i were like really pitching something that i think yes. would be serious i would pitch something in a rather unexplored time frame whereas yeah. this is like the most explored time frame that yes. we've seen so but far. it is my favorite time frame um vader trains galen merrick away from the inquisitorius and without the knowledge of the emperor 
Uh, Darth Vader teaches Galen Merrick the ways of the dark side and even the ideas of immortality. Galen Merrick asks if Vader is training him to be the next Sith Lord, and Vader says he will never be Sith, thus preserving the rule of two, and that he is destined for much more. The movie will eventually conclude with a proper 4v1 fight in which Galen Merrick fights the Knights of the Hidden Path and holds his own, but is eventually defeated. Dies or what? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Defeated to death? Yes. Wow. man. You said this starts slow. I wonder how dark does it get, Max? <laughs> well, no, they, he teased us with the immortality of Galen Merrick, so let's see where it goes. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> You're keen to pick up on that. Uh, the Knights realize so long as the Path members are in one location, they will always be a target and figure the safest thing would be to get the refugees new identities, new lives, and to assimilate them back into normal society, hiding in plain sight. Vader eventually finds Galen Merrick's corpse, and we watch him resurrect Galen Merrick. Galen Merrick asks what happened, and Vader tells him he failed and has much to learn. Galen Merrick asks why he isn't dead, and Vader tells him some fates are worse than death, mirroring the Grand Inquisitor's line before he died mm-hmm. in Rebels. And Pet Cemetery. A little bit more of what that is. <laughs> and then in the last scene, we follow Quinlan Voss down a seedy alley. He hands over a data chip to a hooded figure and says it contains the information for all the refugees. He says to get it to your boss and make sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. The hooded figure lowers her cowl and is revealed to be Kira. She tells Quinlan he has done well, to which Quinlan responds, await the dawn. Ooh. Nice. So that's a little teaser going into episode two. Episode two. Crimson Dawn begins kidnapping the kids. Quinlan Voss. <laughs> yep, they're getting darker. A lot of ch- uh, children soldiers in this one. Uh, Crimson Dawn begins kidnapping kids. Quinlan Voss believes the kids are being offered training in the force to protect themselves, when really they're being trained in the dark side of the force to be a part of Maul's Crimson Dawn army. Vader continues to train Galen, Ma- Galen Merrick by brutal uh, combat in which he continually kills Galen Merrick and brings him back to life just so he can keep dying. With every resurrection, Galen Merrick falls farther and farther into the dark side as his anger grows, and each death brings more suffering. He eventually begs Vader to let him die, but Vader refuses. Vader and Galen Merrick continue training. Galen Merrick falls farther to the dark side when Vader eventually kills him again. This time, Galen Merrick is sent to the world between worlds where he is confronted by the sun. I'll pause there. So... For those of you who aren't uh, as knowledgeable about the Clone Wars, uh, in there's a story arc in the Clone Wars in which Ahsoka, Anakin, and Obi-Wan travel to this planet called Mortis, where they meet the father, the son, and the daughter. And it's like a very metaphorical, ethereal planet, and the father was the living embodiment of the balance of the Force, the daughter was the light side of the Force, and the son was the dark side of the Force. Uh, during their time there, uh, the uh, father tells Anakin that he will someday replace him. Uh, Ahsoka dies while on Mortis, but the light side of the Force gives her life to resurrect Ahsoka, basically putting her life essence into her. So a lot of people believe that Ahsoka is basically the new living embodiment of the light side of the Force, so to speak. And so this would begin to mirror that, uh, where he is confronted with the Sun, who is the dark side of the Force. Galen Merrick battles the sun and eventually defeats him by draining the life force out of him and absorbing it himself, thus reviving Galen Merrick back to life and mirroring Ahsoka in Clone Wars when the daughter gave her life to save Ahsoka. Galen Merrick took the sun's life to save himself, making Galen Merrick the living embodiment of the dark side of the force and achieving immortality. And this, I think, flows well because you would have Darth Vader slash Anakin, who is the balance of the Force, and his two kids, a.k.a. his two apprentices, Ahsoka and Galen Merrick. Mm-hmm. I'd like to point out that this is not nearly as funny as I thought it was going to be. I thought he was setting us up for some crazy stuff. This feels 
I'm, very wait, I'm cool. waiting for There's a, a lot third movie. To, to, I'm reserving judgment. But I like it. Uh, meanwhile, Maul is able to brainwash these child soldiers who are sent on a mission oh, that are... forgot about that element. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. Uh, who are sent on a mission that our four heroes have to prevent. Uh, Quinlan Voss has to admit to the rest of the knights what he had done, uh, and they all have to decide how they're going to handle stopping these children. Uh, I don't have any answers for this part. I just think that would be a really compelling second act where it's like, what do you do against child soldiers? Like, you're not going to kill them, but you have to stop them somehow. Um, Killing kids is in movies now. Yeah, but it's not a very Jedi thing to do, though. They don't like to kill in general, let alone kids. I'm saying kids, but I imagine they're like, 13 to 16 years old. Yeah. Definitely like a killable age, but it still hurts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so somehow our heroes will thwart Maul's mission and stop the kids, probably by not killing them, but you know, I'll leave that to the specifics. They just fall into like a bag and zip them up. Uh, the third act will be the knights showing, the knights knowing that they have to stop Maul, so they infiltrate a Crimson Dawn stronghold and fight through a bunch of Crimson Dawn goons, and then right before they confront Maul, Galen Merrick shows up just like Maul on Naboo and the Phantom Menace, um, and they have to split up. Kelleran Beck and Cal fight Galen Merrick as Quinlan Voss and Reva go to fight Maul. Kelleran Beck and Cal defeat Galen Merrick, but Galen Merrick is able to resurrect himself. Realizing that he cannot die, Kelleran Beck and Cal Kestis are forced to flee. At the same time, Quinlan Voss and Reva confront Maul. Along the way, they find where more kids are being held captive, and they have to free the children while fighting Maul. Reva eventually dies at the hands of Maul while freeing kids, thus completing her story arc, started in Obi-Wan, where she herself began to turn to the dark side as a youngling and eventually almost murders a child herself, a.k.a. that was Luke. So that's kind of her storyline being wrapped up there. Uh, instead of allowing them to leave, Maul then tries to kill the kids, but Quinlan Voss is able to hold him off in time for them to escape. Maul is able to stab Quinlan Voss, but in my head, like Boromir from Lord of the Rings, he gets up and continues to fight him anyway and eventually kills Maul. Maul's dead and Quinlan Voss mortally wounded. Quinlan Voss attempts to leave only to immediately be confronted by Galen Merrick. Quinlan Voss continues to try to fight Galen Merrick, but is easily killed given his wounds. Galen Merrick then makes his way to Maul and resurrects him, telling him, your life belongs to me now. With many members of the path scattered to the wind and Quinlan Voss and Reva dead, Kelleran Beck and Cal Kestis have to regroup and think about how they can move forward. One of them reveals that Reva once told them of a Jedi in hiding who can help. The two then go to Tatooine and talk to Obi-Wan, who says he must stay to protect a child. They tell him they're trying to protect many children, but Obi-Wan says this boy is special. You know, they'll, they'll word that a little bit better, but you get the idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's not wrong. Uh, however, Obi-Wan knows of a Jedi who may be able to help. One believed killed in the purge, but warns them that he fears he has begun to fall from the light. He has become vengeful and aggressive. While Obi-Wan talks, we see a couple stormtroopers walking from an establishment on the lower levels of Coruscant. They walk down an alley, and in the shadows, we see a figure appear and assassinate the troopers with a purple blade. The figure walks out of the alley and into the light, where we see an older, very scarred Mace Windu. With a robotic hand, he puts his hood up and walks away. And that's episode two. Nice. This is reading a lot like a TV show to me as well. I kept thinking, like, as I was doing this, I would prefer doing a TV well, show. Well, that this was is... another uh, one uh, episode I wanted to suggest was a doing a Star Wars TV show pitch because I feel like those are vastly different things. And I was like, when I first started brainstorming about this, I was also thinking, like, it is a lot easier to almost describe a TV, TV show because a lot of the ones you're saying are very rad and they feel like ending to endings. Because it's, it's, uh, we could talk about 
Star Wars as a whole and how trilogies work and stuff too. But there's a lot the of ending. cliffhangers in what I'm describing right now, and you don't really see that many cliffhangers and usually it's a nice like wrapped up sense. thing, which is odd. And then you just yeah, it would you know we talked about how Empire Strikes Back just kind of ends, and it's just like an interesting thing that's just like yeah, the story can go anywhere. Um, yeah, but well, now we know very very well, well where it's going. Not that this is of, bad it just or kind wrong. Of ends. I I don't have nearly as many notes for the third movie. Nor do I for mine. So. Okay, good. So basically, it's hard to wrap up a fake story that you don't put too yes, much time. It is. In. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like I'm like trying to like wrap up all these things in my head, and I'm like, well, I don't know how that was addressed in films one and two, but whatever. Broad strokes. Kelleran Beck and Cal Kestis recruit Mace Windu, uh, and the three of them just kind of like go ham for an entire movie. Uh, it eventually ends with a, uh, a a villain team up, which is something that I talk about all the time, usually in the context of Marvel. So this is going to be the part of our show where I start talking about Marvel movies again, <laughs> because every single time the Avengers team up, they always fight one big baddie who just has like an army of drones. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, like get like all these villains that haven't died yet and put them together somehow. And let's see like that big brawl. So I always want to see like a super team up of villains so that's what this is it would end with a, a 3v3 uh of cal kestis kelleran beck and mace windu versus darth vader maul and galen merrick um we kind of know that the baddies have to win uh but the good guys get the information that quinlan boss gave them in the in the end of the first movie uh so that they can destroy it to kind of prevent them from kidnapping more children so you know the three of them die but it's like a kind of a moral victory anyway uh, and then the three baddies turn on each other because Galen Merrick believes he's better than Vader now and Maul just wants to be free. Somehow Maul escapes and seeks an ancient Sith weapon he can use to destroy the Sith because now he's terrified. Uh, he goes to Malachor, but on his way, his ship is sabotaged by Kira, who tries to kill Maul. She believes he's ki- she believes that she has killed Maul, but Maul actually survives and crash lands on Malachor stranded. That's where his story picks up in Rebels. Nice. Let's just tie that together. Yeah, nice. exactly. A little bow tie. Meanwhile, Vader is able to defeat Galen Merrick by freezing him in carbonite. He then takes him to an ancient temple as his final resting place. But as he leaves, we push out to see that this temple is like the one on Mortis, but this one is on Peridia, and it is what the father is pointing to next to the son with the daughter's head missing at the end of Ahsoka. It is where Balin Skull is trying to go because he wants to free Galen Merrick and bring back balance to the Force by bringing back the dark side. That ties so many loose threads in Star. Maybe all of the loose threads in Star Wars. That's a good pitch. <laughs> and I loved. That's what to I that. set out to do. Like I said, I had like ten itches that I just really wanted to scratch. <laughs> so I just grabbed so many loose ends that I know we'll never see again and bring them back. I had that thought at the end of Ahsoka when that we didn't get much resolution on anything and just more questions. For Star Wars to go on for likely forever, at least all of our lifetimes. You can't like start wrapping up your stories. You have to introduce as many as you wrap up. And your pitch would be a great if they said, "Okay, the world's ending in five years." And <laughs> Dave Filoni's like, "Oh shit, we gotta finish all of Star Wars." You tell me everything that we set up that we need to do. Okay, well, Reva's redeemed. Okay, all right. What else do we got? Villain uh, team ups check. Oh, uh, we, we introduce, back. introduce Maul at the end of Solo. Do we want to do something with that? All right, all right. I'll figure it out. Amelia Clark's still on the docket. Let's use her. Yep, got it, got it. That was great. But yeah, I think I think it is uh, certainly outside the probability of being made. I I don't think that'll ever get made. No, I agree. But <laughs> yeah, we, I think, yeah. But it's a lot of fun to think yeah. about, and I think that's good fan fiction right there. Yeah, that is fan fiction in its purest state. That is like if you could 
inject fanfiction straight into your veins. <laughs> yes, that was indeed, because it ties up every single story. With that being said, how many times in your story, Maxwell, does Maul die and then almost die? There is a lot of resurrections, and there's <laughs> also... a character theme for him. Yeah. There's also a lot of somehows. Yes, yeah. <laughs> somehow I mean, they escape, somehow he flees. I mean, it's a, it's yeah, a first draft. It's a, yeah. Yes. We're looking bird's eye view. Type, uh, I, I I would not say in the film somehow Maul survives. I will. Well, yes. I'll figure it out a way, a better yes. way of yeah. saying. Well, it's implied. Yes, it was just so funny. But okay, so Max, not that heavily implied. I'm sometimes <laughs> they do say somehow. So that is Max's fanfic fanfic extravaganza, Luke, called Knights of the Hidden Path. Knights of the Hidden Path. So, what do you mean? Is that the first movie? Is that just the? How would you name these? Have you thought about names? Have you thought about directors? Have you thought about score or actors as well? Actors you don't really need to think about too much, I guess. Almost all um, returning actors. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all returning actors, so that part was pretty easy for me. Uh, locations, there's a couple returning locations like Tatooine and Coruscant, but anything that isn't on one of those key places, I would uh, want to be a new location, mm-hmm. um, just because it's always, in my opinion, funner to see new places. Yeah. Uh, as far as the score, I would go with the guy who did Lord of the Rings. He's super famous. What's his How name? Sure. Howard oh, is Shore. it Howard Shore? Makes sense. Uh, yeah, I'd go with him. I think he is the uh, second best composer of all time after uh, John Williams. And I think they're probably like just as good as each other. I think they just have different strengths. Sure. All right, Luke. What is your trilogy right. of lore? <laughs> I don't like how much you're smiling. When I sat down to write this trilogy pitch, I started thinking, what is a trilogy? And I would Perfect. like I would like to discuss that before we get too into the weeds. <laughs> There's no discussion. It's three movies. Is it any collection of three movies? Does it have yeah. to be a set of three movies that were conceived to tell a beginning, middle, and end throughout the first, second, and third movie? I think you can have. Does like... a trilogy stop being a trilogy if they come out with a fourth movie? Could the second, third, and fourth movie in a franchise be considered a trilogy? Oh, that's no. interesting. Star that... Wars is a trilogy of trilogies. It is a trilogy of trilogies. Besides that, it becomes a saga after three. So we. You specifically, yes. Matt, have said you've referred to the Indiana Jones original trilogy. Indiana yes. Jones now has five movies. Now it's a so saga it, after three. So the so there is no Indiana Jones trilogy. No. But there was an Indiana Jones trilogy until the fourth one came out. Yeah, I would say so. What about in a franchise like Fast and the Furious, where at one it, point there were three movies? Would that have been the Fast and the Furious trilogy and then it no longer was? Yeah, I think so. That's the intention, too, I think. If it's like, that's a franchise, right? Franchise is more than like five movies. A saga is like a be- like an end, like, right? Harry Potter is like a saga. Twilight is like a saga. Because they have X amount of movies that they're going to make, right? Because they know is that. Twilight more than three? Twilight is five? Oh, is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. I think there's four books and five, five movies, movies, right? Part two yeah. In the last one. Well, I'm glad to say I didn't know that. I thought there was three movies. Watch them all um, in high school. And then. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that's the definition of like a trilogy can be anything. We've talked about this a little bit um, with other movies, because especially when our we were talking about Solo and how I like the idea of Solo being a true an un like a I don't know, brother or sister trilogy a little bit, right? Where like the Midnight trilogy uh, before trilogy, sorry, is one of my favorite trilogies of all time, and those are movies that Richard Linklater made every eleven years in real life. Um, so in like 1995, I swear it was 2000 something. Anyway, I think, I think it's 1995. Uh, it's Ethan Hawke. Um, and I forget the actress's name, but basically they, it's called before uh, sunrise. And the whole thing is in the, um, they meet in France and they have one day together before, and they both have to leave during when the sun rises. So it's before sunrise. They get to spend the whole day together there and they fall in love. Then the other movie, which I believe was released in 2004 is called before sunset. And they meet again, 
perchance in France after when he's on a book tour and she's living there. And that uh, they have one day together before sun sets and they have to leave each other. And then the other movie is Before uh, Before Midnight, which is in 2011. Um, yeah, 2011, 2014 maybe, somewhere around there. Um, and that movie is about them being together and they are on the brink of being divorced now. And so that, those are all movies that that is a trilogy even though each story is completely separate from the the other each story is completely different but it's like the same characters and the same sure yeah like tonal consistency probably yeah. um but you could generally do, you don't yeah. have to have a tonally consistent trilogy because like the original trilogy sure. in star wars the tone is all over the place from movie to movie so with kind that in of. mind you disagree i think there's an overarching thread yes <laughs> between star wars do you not do you agree maxwell I mean, like, Empire Strikes Back is way, like, a 10 out of 10 dark, and Return of the Jedi, they just made it into a kid's movie after that. That's true, I guess, but there's still, like, the common thread, I think, throughout, of, like, good and evil, and there's, like, the, the thematically the same, I think they have, like, The that, story is a common wonder. thread, for sure, but I think the tone, if we're just talking about the tone, it's all over the place sure. for that trilogy. I get, yeah, yeah, I gotta agree with that. Which, which so is why is I refute when people say that the end, original right. trilogy is of Star Wars is a perfect trilogy, mm-hmm. I think... That is Hopkosh. But I think it, I think it is a perfect trilogy in because of that because like Lord of the Rings to me is like a very boring trilogy because it is the same thing three oh, times. No I was just about to it's say Lord great, of the Rings is the perfect no, trilogy. I was about to say that too. It's no. a great trilogy, but I I think it's the one of those things where I'm just like, what movie does that happen? What is it? When you, in Star Wars, you know distinctly what 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 happens when because you said the tone is different, which I think the tone should be slightly different each movie. Which I would say the sequel trilogy do, does that really well also. That the the mm-hmm. the tone is different in each movie and i think that makes a better trilogy than having the same thing over again not saying lord of the rings is a bad trilogy obviously that's interesting you kind of convinced me that lord of the rings is a bad trilogy because when i, I mean, think about I it let's not it say could, that it could just be like a nine and a half hour movie it doesn't even need to be three movies exactly but just that's, for practical reasons they cut it in thirds yes and that's the thing i think it's, and is it's, that it what is, i want in a trilogy or not that's an if, and for question. me it's not with that being said it is very valid and a very good movie and uh, peter jackson had that idea clearly of making each one and they are a d- little different from each other obviously but uh, like tonally, but I think that in Star Wars, like, you're right, kids movie, very dark. And then you have like that hopeful wonder kind of like wet behind the ears kind of uh, story for New Hope. Anyway, look, we're getting way off topic. Please go. Well, the reason I bring it up is because my trilogy is three tonally completely different movies that shares a common story throughout the three movies. But the first one, I was thinking, what have I always wanted in Star Wars? That a musical. Oh, my God. It's a Star Wars musical. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I knew it. It can be a canon story. Part one of a three movie trilogy, and the story is going to be set in the High Republic era, of course. And the Republic discover a new alien planet where they cannot communicate with them. The people there are nonverbal, <laughs> and they communicate with each other through music, but the Republic doesn't have that kind of communication protocol, so they have to form a task force of musicians and linguists and diplomats to broker peace with these people. So it's sort of like Arrival meets Star Wars meets Broadway. <laughs> have you guys seen Arrival? Because it's yes. awesome. I mean, yeah. I have. So throughout the movie, the Republic group learns to communicate with them and eventually realizes that they are evil. And once they start understanding them better, they get taken captive. But the main character, who I have come to uh, name Jedi Smith, because it's also pretty similar to Pocahontas. And so um, <laughs> it's like John Smith, but he's a Jedi. And I want him played by uh, James McAvoy, because I am nice. a really big James McAvoy fan. Uh, but he starts you developing mutual feelings for the Pocahontas character, the local from this planet that has to communicate through music. Yep. And then uh, book one, or the first movie, is all about ironing out this communication style because it's through music. And then at the end, it's um, 
like they can finally communicate with each other so that book movies two and three do not have to be musicals and they are just regular movies um, very much like the joker right joker two uh fillet is that is the fall boy i don't know if it's called fillet but it's fillet it but that's a joker two is a musical so is it really mm-hmm. i did not know that that makes me so much more excited for that um, but the story is, um, I don't know how musically it's going to be. I mean, there's going to be musical numbers. Who's to say how, are they, are they going to like stop and have a choreographed dance scene? I assume. That's, yes. that's my bar for what isn't, isn't a musical. And I want that in my movie cause I want it to happen. Okay. I did not know that about the Joker actually. That is really interesting. Lady Gaga stuff. I feel like it's a mental That break. makes sense why it's Lady Gaga now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, my trilogy is setting up a very Avatar, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Pocahontas story, which is not the most original thing, but the thing that makes these movies great, in my opinion, is not the story, but it's the characters in them and the way the characters interact with this um, situation. So then movie number two, after the musical, when they st- when they the communication barrier is no longer there, is a Star Wars romantic drama between Jedi Smith and the Pocahontas character. And... We've never gotten that in Star Wars. We had hints of it in Attack of the Clones, but it wasn't done very well, but it could be. It's really close to being really cool because Star Wars is such a visual saga. The the visuals are very striking, and that's yeah. one of the most Im- impactful parts of the of watching Star Wars for me. And so for the director for this movie, I went with um, Spike Jones, who directed Her, which is one of my favorite movies. And, and Sabotage, PC Boys, yeah. And her is one of my favorite movies because it is so visually striking, mm-hmm. which it's a, not a sci-fi. It's kind of it's a futuristic movie, but it's just set in like a city on Earth, and it still looks stunning from shot to shot. And being able to play with the Star Wars universe, not to mention this planet with these um, nonverbal music talkers, is a really interesting idea. And you could have really unique uh, creature designs and setting locations and mm-hmm. set design. And Spike Jones, I think, could really uh, go to town on it. So my uh, inspirations for that movie are her and Silver Linings Playbook and every Hallmark Christmas movie. So your favorites. Yes. (laughs) Bring it up the hits. (laughs) So the plot, uh, Jedi Smith and Pocahontas uh, love story through and through. She rescues him from captivity and there's drama that she thinks he is only falling for her to save himself. And the movie addresses Stockholm Syndrome and whether or not the love is real and uh, a lot of forbidden love elements. And similar to Max and Matt, I believe I did not mm-hmm. finish uh, book three or movie three. I don't know why I keep imagining that I'm doing books. Um, I did not finish movie three, but like the inciting idea that I had for why I wanted it to be structured this way is in movie three. It's like a more traditional Star Wars movie, action adventure, uh, sci-fi, high fantasy, and I don't have it ironed out, but I want the movie to follow. A musical, so like instead of Ray's theme when mm-hmm. Jedi Smith does something cool, it's, the, it's like a musical reprise from the first movie, except it's all instrumental now because it's like composed by Howard Shore or whomever. Uh, uh, Who, who's the whomever though? Uh, we'll go with Howard Shore. <laughs> <laughs> all right. God, so man. he's taking the music that was in the first movie and he's adapting it so that it's like the score that. for the third yeah, movie so that great. way instead of like when ray does something cool and you're like singing along like do 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 mm-hmm. do do you could be hearing the music and hearing the words in your head even though it's just a movie score and it's i think that would be a really cool thing for a movie because we've never had that because i do sing along with a lot of movie scores and my son and i do this a lot now and is why it's so fresh in my mind that i sing like do 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 and he 
points his fingers like a composer. And it would be so cool if there were words to any of these Star Wars songs that are so important to me that I sing yeah. all the time, yet there are no words to any of it. It's like a, this is such a neat way, I think, to incorporate that. Like La La Land, like City of Stars, how it's sung in the beginning mm. when it's happy. And then it at would the be end, like that, yes. It's like City of Stars is just the piano version where he's by himself. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love how absolutely you that whole pitch is. That, <laughs> it like, really three, is. Three completely different things, but those are like all three of your absolutely favorite things strung together in a way that I actually really like. I, I agree. mean, granted, it is Star Wars, which helps a lot. Anything <laughs> Star Wars I'm in for, but yeah, I like that a lot, actually. I would love to see that. Thank you. I like it a lot, too. I feel like that is super interesting. I do like the idea of unconnected trilogies in a way that they're all different movies. Like we were talking about tonally, they're all very different. I think those yeah. would keep you on your toes the entire time, right? It's like, oh, like in the first one, there's not really a hint that the second one would not be a musical. Mm-mm. And then it's, so it's like okay, this but it makes sense because it's a practical thing. It's not yeah. like it's not like a necessarily like a style for the trilogy. It's like a practical like it has to be musical because that's how they communicate. But it's, that being said, yeah. it would be like a full on musical for the first movie. It's not just like practical in the movie. Like they have dance choreography and it's. Like I a imagine full, a, full a lot of people are losing limbs in that lightsaber dance choreography. <laughs> I thought <laughs> that is so dangerous. I thought it was going to be uh, uh, more disconnected, actually, because when we were talking about what makes a trilogy, I was going to bring up the Cornetto trilogy as an example, yeah. which oh is my like God. three of Matt's favorite movies. It is, which and I did not mention it. <laughs> three completely different movies. They're yeah. not tied together by anything other than same actors and creator. Yeah, that's it. And I love them. Uh, I did have uh, directors picked out. I mentioned Spike Jones for my uh, second movie, Romantic Drama, for the first Ooh, one. So they're going to be different directors, too. Classic yes, Star because Wars, Spike Jones right. isn't a musical director, and I don't know any musical directors well, beside Lin-Manuel yeah. Miranda. So oh, get I, him. I get said him. He's him. hot right now. <laughs> In a perfect world, it would be him. Is he? It's a little... Yeah. Uh, other, than, uh, other than um, the scuttlebutt from the new Little Mermaid. I feel like everything else he's done has just oh, been yes. the Midas touch. I just thought something like crazy happened that I have not heard of. Because I was like, you acted like, you, so when you said that, I was like, oh my God, has Hamilton just come back out or something? <laughs> no. no he's Hamilton just, is just so spectacular. That yeah. It's eight years on and it's still just the biggest deal in all of Broadway. Understandably. Um, so, admittedly, I have been a little annoyed that, I don't, I don't know that much about musicals, but all of my favorite musical stuff that has come out it's like hamilton and tick tick mm-hmm. boom and moana and all the and and kanto and all this stuff is just made by lin-manuel miranda mm-hmm. and i'm like oh my god is there really no one else in the world that can make good musicals like we have to keep <laughs> going to the same guy not like and him i don't know anyone else so i'm going with lin-manuel miranda but what about andrew garfield is he gonna get a role in this because you love tick tick boom in it um or you love him in tick tick boom i do love him in tick tick boom i don't know if james mcavoy is a singer but i was thinking of andrew garfield that he wasn't a singer before tick tick boom and lin Manuel miranda just taught him how to sing you know and so he is now not knowing him how to sing not knowing the answer to that question i'm confident james mcavoy can sing he seems like the kind of guy that could just do it all i agree i feel like he has (laughs) done it and i don't know why I Are you looking it up right you. now? You're trying to see if there's anything that he's ever sung in? The only thing I'm seeing is James McAvoy sings Coca Cabana with Barry Manilow. So, well, that's, that's interesting. Good. I can confirm <laughs> that he sung with Barry Manilow, so I'm going to assume he can at least hold, like, you know, he can he can hit some notes and hold a tune. Doesn't he do, like, a creepy, singy character as one of his in personalities? Split? Yeah, in doesn't he? Is that what I'm thinking of? I haven't I seen that movie that. in I a long time. I haven't seen it since theaters, but I yeah. don't remember a singer. It seems like one of his personalities um, would happen. But anyway, for the third movie, the one I don't have ironed out mm-hmm. that as well, so I would need to bring in some pretty expert writers to help me. I went with uh, Matthew Lewis and Josh Vanderzyden, hey. who are coming hot <laughs> off of the premiere of their new movie that Matt just um, uh, premiered on this past weekend. And it's called Obscura, and it was really good. And they're 
ready to take on their next project, and I would like to bring them on board for something, and I think they could nail it. Oh, Luke. That I actually that. that actually warms my heart. I was also going to make a joke about that with mine, and then obviously retract it. <laughs> but uh, that means that means a lot. Thank you so much. Um, and as for cast, I mentioned James McAvoy as Jedi Smith, and I would like to bring Zoe Saldana as the Pocahontas character, not just because yes, she already was Avatar. in Avatar, <laughs> but because she is the key to the movie making a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, I mean, she's yeah. in a lot of billion dollar franchises she is she the really mightiest touch of hollywood movies yeah man crossroads for britney spears <laughs> right, that's all i got <laughs> luke comes in with these uh, most obscure ideas lucas film is not sold and he's like but zoe saldana <laughs> oh okay yeah she's good okay now we're talking you just had a musical <laughs> the first was a musical <laughs> uh, but directed by libna and miranda star of rise of skywalker so he's in yeah, he's at the end of yeah, the Rise. Yeah, he's in the Rise of Skywalker. That's, oh, yeah, he does have a cameo, That cameo he? really did take me out of it, though. Because I'm just like, <laughs> for the, for the, you know, the, the audience listening, listening home, I just pointed yeah. and backed up a second, back up like a foot. Because um, it was, it is very off-take, like off-putting every single time that I see him. That doesn't take me out of it. Yeah? Yeah, that, don't, that one doesn't bother me. I'm just like, yeah, the ending is, I feel like there's so many things going on. I'm like, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, Lynn? Uh, and we continue. Actually, also, since uh, also tomorrow's Halloween, uh, I shouldn't say that because it's going to date it and it's going to come out next week. Yeah. But Halloween was last week. <laughs> Halloween was last week, but I'm, it's on top of my mind now. So I'll just say it. Halloween was last week, but I have been for a couple of years wanting uh, my wife, Lynn, to go as Lynn Manuel Miranda because I think that'd be a really funny costume. Because her name is Lynn. It would just be Lynn with like a painted on goatee. That's funny to me. That's funny. That's a good I idea. Like that. yeah. Thanks. She does not want to do it ever. <laughs> Maybe next year. Luke's, right. Luke's son's name is Finn, and I sometimes call him Finn Mittenwald Miranda. <laughs> Damn, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, so we've all, I feel like we all took this prompt very differently. We have uh, Luke's unconnected musical trilogy uh, at the base of it, right? We have Max's like uh, fandom extravaganza is what I think maybe I called it before. So I went to the opposite way, and I wrote out uh, a new trilogy of where I think Star Wars could go, which is really interesting to me in the fact that I obviously love Star Wars. We do this podcast and stuff, too. But, like, lore-wise, I feel like that's very much your guys' alley to create the lore and stuff, too. So I was like, I have a lot of like, gaps that I would like to fill in. And to guys, yesterday, the Cleveland Browns were on, and I just wrote this whole thing up, kind of uh, was thinking about it for a while, but then, like, wrote all these kind of, like, interconnected details up. So you guys have, like, very structured stories in the fact that it's just kind of like uh here's what happens all the time so mine is kind of broken out into kind of like pitch backstory we will kind of learn throughout the characters a little bit what luke why are you laughing <laughs> i'm imagining a bunch of cleveland browns lore in this and like and then the main character gets his leg broken in half in the first <laughs> act and it's not in the rest of it and his name's nick chubb <laughs> no there's nothing to do with the cleveland browns it was just sexual predator jedi boo also, uh, yeah, yeah. deshaun watson uh maybe will not be with us that sounds like he's gonna die he will not probably be dead by the dude it. just doesn't want to play yeah, anyway play. bring on we di- this, we this isn't the browns podcast check out the muni lot for that yes the muni lot report sponsored by mike lewis and the bill habib um okay so uh again i want i'm very interested in what you guys are going to think of the story and i, I, I kind of want you to add to it a little bit as well maybe uh sit back for the riot i guess a little bit and but i could be so interested in seeing what your thoughts are because this is uh non-connected to anything we've seen before as He's well. He's given us the green light. I'm going to give every single opinion I have in real time. No More music. No More <laughs> musicals. <laughs> okay. So, here's the quick elevator pitch. On a military research mission on a jungle planet, a group of investigators discover an ancient evil that will not only affect the planet, but the entire galaxy itself. So, some backstory. 
Some backstory is, uh, hundreds of years after the events of the, the trilogies we know as Star Wars, Jedi, Sith, and Force users have, be- have come and gone from what we know. Force users are now hidden and scattered throughout the galaxy, become a traditional practice handed down from family member to family member and rarely heard of. These are the ghost Jedi. Much like my family and pierogies, just handed down from... <laughs> I mean, you can still talk about pierogies, but... It's more or less a family tradition of being handed down. So it's more Is of that a, why you always shush me thing. when I talk about it? <laughs> Not lie. now. Um, okay, so who are the characters? So uh, the characters, we start off as a research team. Again, let me know if this also makes any sort of cohesive sense once I'm done. Because I feel like it, in my head it does, but it's hard to... Like, Max, you did a really good job. Luke, you did a really good job of describing what each movie does. Uh, and so I kind of go through that a little bit towards the end here. But anyway. The research team. We have Zala, who is the cool, calm, and collected leader of the researchers. And even though she's a scientist, she's very much a believer in the unknown and becomes the leader against the evil rising. Then we have Dob, which Dobbs is a Cleveland, was a Cleveland Browns player. I, <laughs> I swear, knew it. I swear to God that's unrelated. <laughs> so anyway, we have Dob, a smart but lazy tech guy who wants to do his best, but he fights against his internal conflict. Um, his character is kind of the one who becomes wrapped up. Uh, we have Wudok. A cool uh, and sly uh, Zabrak, weapon specialist. He is a heart of gold, and though he looks scary, he is everyone's favorite person. And then we also have Nolson, a.k.a. Zero. This is a droid that Zala has been with for all of her missions. He is the equivalent of listening to cassette tapes versus Spotify. He's like very old V1 kind of demo of a droid, which is why his original name was Zero, because he was not given a number. Uh, but then they call him Nolson, because that is the operating system that he operates on. Um, and is so outdated at this point. This is why he is like a cassette player versus Spotify. Um, also, I wanted to name a droid an actual name and not have a C-3PO, R2-D2, BB-8. Uh, so they call him Nolson because it is the operating system. Still kind of wraps up in it. What uh, what time is this movie taking place? Uh, this is hundreds of years after the events of we, we know as the Star Wars trilogies. So okay. completely Do we know what kind of droid Nolson would be? Is he um, like an yeah. astromech droid or is he a brand new... I think he'd be Brand a newer new droid that we have not seen before. I mean, he, he's... Or yeah, a, we haven't seen it yet. Technically, it's not he's a new. F- but, yeah. yeah, he's a full-functioning droid in my mind, and he also does not verbally speak. I think it's more of bleeps and blops, and in my mind, mm. uh, when I was picturing him, uh, like his mouth, when he talks, it would be like a light that goes left to right and right to left when he talks, so it's like so, a visual cue. he's cube. humanoid, though. He has, like, legs and arms. And yeah, he's like, he's like a C- more functional C-3PO okay. type, right? Uh, K-2SO, a little shorter droid and he is used on research missions right and so that's kind of the core research team but also joining them is rise this is the new guy who comes in right to this to this research group and he disagrees with a lot of what everyone is kind of doing once they discover this ancient evil right he's smart and he's calculated even though he's a rough exterior uh he is a softy a kind of a classic archetype for a character as well uh and then uh, he is a scientist the opposite of zala he does not believe in a lot of these ancient forces and stuff too again at this point force users and stuff have completely kind of gone and not in hiding because that sounds like i mean obviously that has been done before but gone and hiding in the fact that it's just not practiced as a tradition in the same sense kind of um, like in a new hope except it's more believable because it's hundreds of years and not 19 <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> and again this is something that i think is nice. it's still being very much practiced behind closed doors um and i think it might be like a secretive thing that people don't want to know that you're a you're a force user or you mm-hmm. have these abilities like your pierogies like my pierogies yeah don't steal a family recipe <laughs> Um, also we have, uh, the, one of the, the ghost Jedi that is also on this planet is Haro. This is uh, a ghost Jedi who, he always has a saber with him, but he never uses it. He's very much of a blaster guy. 
Um, so he's trained very well, but he's on his planet basically to get away from everything, uh, to kind of running from his problems, kind of a guy I assume maybe in his early 40s, late 30s that just kind of want to, wants to get away. He's a former pilot, and little does anybody know, he's used his abilities to guide travelers safely. Uh, and he's plagued, plagued by his past, but he knows he'll eventually need to do good, even though he's been running it from, from decades. And so that's kind of taking place on this jungle planet. Uh, Off-planet. We have Levi. This is a man who wasn't drafted or allowed to join the military and has a desk job for the government. But he begins to find anomalies with his desk job. Um, you know, being able to basically, what I might imagine he's doing is filing reports, basically, for the government. And just so happens to be these researchers are government-funded researchers for the military. And so he begins to find some anomalies. Uh, through these uh, filings that he has, and it's a very boring desk job. And now, does he, little does he know, he has the chance to do something bigger than he ever could imagine. Uh, and not only does he believe that that the a massive kind of government conspiracy cover-up is going on, um, but he b- finds that uh, multiple researchers throughout the galaxy from the outer rim have been going missing. Then we have Bryn. And so after he has exhausted his channels uh, at work, basically being able to go through the proper channels of the government, he turns to this kind of shady underground knowledge resource person named Bryn. And she's straight to the point, and she's actually very young. And so that's what comes off putting at first, I think. And you, maybe you're not going to take a small child, not a small child, but, you know, probably like 17, 18, 19, right around that age. Uh, and so she's coming off very brash, very, uh, very to the point. And I don't think she's going to be believable at first, just because it's like, what does this girl know? Because um, she is so young. But anyway, she's hard to take seriously at first, but she ends up being, in secret, um, the daughter of a high politician who knows all the secrets from a very young age and being a morally good person, she has a web of people at such a young age that she knows uh, she's known unknowingly the beginning of a new era of a rebellion. Then we have her father, which is Telon Alex. He's a high-ranking military officer uh, who wants to uncover, well, this kind of spoils it, I guess, but he wants to uncover this dark ancient Sith thing called the Dark Council, which in our terms would be basically the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is spoiler, the bad guys of the trilogy mm-hmm. uh, and wants to rid the world uh, of the rid the world of its new ways and go back to the old. And then we have the bad guy of the first movie called Reno. This is a force using demonic creature. Um, and so this is kind of the characters we have set up for this trilogy. So this trilogy is not about stopping evil from necessarily continuing right but this is basically this trilogy is about stopping evil from starting and the obstacles they have to overcome to do it versus and stop evil for good so i feel like in all star wars trilogy so far it's like evil has here how are we going to defeat it we have a rebellion we have everything so in, in this it's kind of the same but yet the opposite right it's not about stopping it it's completely stopping it from even starting so story one what happens in this any questions so far no i love it no okay I know I'm a little lost. Thing, you, got, you got questions. I'm a little lost. That was a lot to start with before story one. So after story yes. one, maybe I'll have a better understanding. Yes. So I want to go through. So, all right. Story one. The researchers uncover an ancient Sith creature who escapes after being buried for hundreds of years, uh, only to be accidentally released. On the planet, Rena begins to wreak havoc by using her powers and take over people's bodies, raising creatures from deep within the world itself, uh, and begins to take over. Um, with no choice, Harrow, uh, which is the ghost Jedi, uh, comes out of hiding and helps the group, knowing that, uh, that he can get off the planet and warm the, warm the galaxy. Off planet, Levi begins to uncover uh, the cover up about missing researchers. With help from his, with no help from his office, he goes to other channels and meets Bryn and begins to uncover the government conspiracy. 
At the end, Ariva arrives at a different planet where she takes a seat next to three other devilish, devilish characters. The other four horsemen of the apocalypse, the other three, I guess, technically. So it would be Rena, Vero, uh, Braku Ram, and Obek. These are the four main bad guys of these of this trilogy. Uh, so like in Max's trilogy, trilogy though, it's like how do they get away, uh, right? You kind of fill in those gaps, and I feel like I didn't want to go too far because I already unloaded a lot of information. And I feel like I consistently want to keep going with it, but I don't want to spend forty five minutes talking about my own my own trilogy. Um, but so story one, basically, the researchers are uncovering this ancient evil. It kind of basically escapes, and then the researchers, along with Haro, basically have to escape the planet from this evil demonic Sith creature. Um, and so while that's going on concurrently, we have the people off on a more uh, Coruscant-esque planet in which they're uncovering this conspiracy theory as well. Where then at the end of the movie, we find out that Bryn, who is the knowledge of all of this stuff, um, even though she's like, she is younger, her father is actually one of the, the biggest guys who are trying to do this uncover, uh, this government covered up by sending out researchers to unlock these Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, basically, in Star Wars. Anyway, story two. The group separates. Real quick. So yes. how did story one end? The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, equivalent of, yes. were released? The Dark Council. Yes. So Rena is the last pu- uh, piece of the puzzle, which little do we know as the audience watching. We probably think that it's the first, but it's not. She's actually the last. She's the fourth person to get released. So at the end of it, she goes and joins her other three uh kind of demonic-looking-esque characters. And do we know yet the government's motivation for wanting to release this? It's not the government at all. It's just that one high-ranking guy. Okay. Who is... Um, Who's Bryn's dad? Yes, Bryn's dad, yeah. Telon Alex. And so that's kind of the, the whole thing. Okay. And so this trilogy also, I think, I wanted to set up and not end like in the original trilogy or the sequel trilogy, kind of with like a, like a little bit of a bow on it. It is kind of open-ended and maybe ends a little... T- darker i guess too uh so, and it feels dark i was gonna ask about the genre is this more of like a thriller it does so that's the thing too it does feel a little darker when i describe it and so i can get into that a little bit more as i go on but they're definitely it's something i don't want to lose on is like the inner dynamics of all the all, all the characters all right and that's that's where the heart comes from that's where the humor comes from and, and everything too and so i'm just when i am describing these top level ideas it does come off way darker i think than it is i think it does take a little darker approach to things um but i don't think it's necessarily um so dark the entire time does um, it get darker over time like harry potter <laughs> I, I, not really. Then it gets a little lighter. <laughs> if you want to lighten it up, a musical number will do well. I was going to say, the last movie is a musical. <laughs> so uh, we're going to story two. So story two. The group separates. Uh, Haro goes to find his sister, who is basically Haro's sister, is the one who stayed within the family and has been teaching like her kids uh, the Force-using abilities and is kind of the leader of these ghost Jedi. Uh, they can have like meetings and stuff. So she kind of has like this interconnected web while Haro has been running from this in- his entire life. His sister is very much connected to all this stuff. So he goes to find his sister uh, who takes the Force more seriously to see if they can gather the ghost Jedi and prepare for what is basically a war coming, along with half the researching team. The other half of the team go to the city where they eventually link up with Levi and Bryn and where they find out the con- uh, the government conspiracy with a military leader, a.k.a. Uh, Talon uh, Alex, has been using his resources and teams to go to the Outer Rim planets to unleash the Dark Council. The Dark Council being the, mo- the four horse from the apocalypse. Uh, kind of wrote this a little out of order. Uh, and then we're also introduced to their villains. So that's kind of story two. Is they're kind of separated, right? We make the plot a little bigger. And then in story three, we bring it back down. Uh, again, 
this is a little bit more unorganized than I would have thought as I, even though it's been in my head for like two straight days now in story three, the ghost Jedi versus the dark council basically begins. The researchers come back together, different, but the same. And knowing that this is the end of their story alone, uh, they gather basically what, else, what, and basically this is kind of a, the beginning of a kind of a new rebellion, right? Things are kind of in peace, but now all of a sudden, um, it ends a bit on a, I think a sour note. So I've, Again, I don't really have much plushed out besides that. But at the end, the Dark Council will fail, but not be fully destroyed. A dark cloud will then loom over the galaxy as kind of a dark darkness has re-entered it. Um, not that they've been living in peace or anything, but the idea of, you know, when you're in the Galactic Empire era of Star Wars, you have the Empire looming overhead. And there's not there's nothing really looming over this, you know, galactic evil. And so now that kind of has re-entered. So it's like they have won, but they have... They have, I mean, the Dark Council has lost, but they also t- kind of have won because they have now the stain on the galaxy again. Uh, Vero also makes it out alive to set up the new trilogy or spinoff shows to tell. So out of the four main bad guys, um, one of them does indeed survive. And the key elements is throughout this is that there's no stormtroopers or full armies. So there's no... I mean, we love stormtroopers, but it's been done a lot. And I feel like if you're going to advance for 200 years, 300 years, 400 years we probably shouldn't do the same thing, right? So the Dark Council has, and can sense, and therefore gather, gangs and bad people throughout the galaxy. They can overtake section, certain sections of the army of armies throughout different planets, so they can all kind of have the same uniform and kind of give that stormtrooper a feeling, but not actually have stormtroopers. They can also turn droids evil, which is going to be where I think a lot of the army aspects can come from, which is why Nolson cannot turn because he is so old. Mm, that's cool. the whole point. Um, see, there's a lot of elements That's like that that point. I feel like would be good to explain, but I feel like I needed to write way more, and this whole episode could just be this. Maybe I'll do a rogue one of just this story um, later on. Um, okay, other characters, also such as uh, Haro's sister and a slew of other ghost Jedi, could be introduced. Minor, minor villains, along with creatures and other people, mean along the way will be introduced. Uh, that's something that obviously we can't really touch because there's not enough time. Uh, there all also could be talk of like Luke Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano and also, uh, you know, Force Ghosts and stuff because we are the art. You know, these Ghost Jedi have a deep sense and a deep loyalty to Force using, so they presumably would know these old texts and stuff too. So we can kind of tie that together a little bit. We can also tie together what happened to the Jedi and stuff too, just through like from, from normal conversation. It doesn't have to be like, like we can get lore heavy, but it doesn't have to be super. Um, I don't know. It doesn't have to be super apparent. It doesn't have to be like, oh, Solo is your last name. It doesn't have to be so on the nose. So I swear I'm semi-wrapping up now. But themes, love and loss, morality, good versus evil, uh, and friendship. Like, Bren has to deal with her dad knowing she, he's, the, he's the, the ultimate bad guy, but also trying to help out. And she doesn't know he's the bad guy. Uh, so they're kind of uncovering this together. Um, for directors, and this is kind of something Tone and Vibe were talking about. I was thinking about who, to t- who I would really love to take this on and think, uh, I was thinking of all these, you know, these massive directors, and I hate when you're looking online. And you're like, oh, who's to direct Star Wars? And it's like the most obvious, like not obvious directors, but the most like popular directors. Chris Nolan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, this person, that person. It's like, okay, well, maybe not. Whoever but, had the last good movie yes. in theaters. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think something that can toe this line between scary and heartwarming would be the Duffer Brothers from Stranger Things. Um, I'm not saying like they should be get even bogged down with something like this um, because they can do their own thing, but I think they have that ability to direct action really well. They have that ability to direct romance really well and humor, and I think they're able to combine all of these things and make it like a nostalgia pot with, by making it, but also making it their own. Um, 
Composer, Kevin Kiner. I think let's keep it within the family. He's doing such a good job with Ahsoka. He's done such a good job with Rebels and Clone Wars. I think it's something new and exciting and a little different. As an alt, I also wouldn't mind Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein, who also do Stranger Things, who I think are some of the best modern composers. Uh, consistently, my one or two and on Spotify, think they have a great, um, great style. I also have a lot of cast. Do you guys want to go through this? Yeah. All right. You have a lot of cast, I guess. Um, it's, it's an ensemble, which I appreciate. Yes, and I also want an ensemble much like you, Maxwell. Exactly. I, I do. I do feel like we are going towards this more one person story and i think it's a, it's a lot of fun but i man i i just love an ensemble cast uh, also the tone and style is more like the amblin 80s um style that sounds like i'm pandering a bit and you know going back to the original trilogy Trying i to guess get kathleen kennedy on board yeah but it is like more i think wonder scary thrilling and mysterious um is the way i would describe it it's like that feeling when when you watch or watching a new hope and you don't know what's going on yet i think the entire time because you don't really know where these characters fit in with each other as well and there's a lot more backstory that i can get into with the characters but i won't <laughs> because don't worry <laughs> i saw your face luke no i'm just kidding um but I'm just going to run through this cast real quick, so maybe this can also just make some sort of sense. So for Zala, I really like Daisy Edgar-Jones, who played in Fresh and Under the Banner of Heaven. I think she's a great leading person. Um, I think she also has played in horror movies. She's played dramatic roles, and she, I think, can has like have like some funny zingers. Um, for Rise, who is the kind of the new guy in the group, who is kind of the thorn in their side, and uh, kind of, I guess, maybe like the Poe Dameron of the group. Uh, Corey Hawkins from Straight Outta Compton, who played uh, Dr. Dre. Or he's also in The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Oh, you got me there. All right. I didn't know the first person. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, for Dob, which is the more anxious like tech person of the group. Uh, uh, Raul Cooley, uh, who is in Midnight Mass and Haunting a Blind Manor. Um, he's like a... He's a he's lost, a lost huge Star Wars fan. Uh, he, oh, that's fun. I like yes. it when I like it when the Star Wars actors are really big Star Wars fans. He's like buds with Mike from Rexing Around and stuff. They always work hanging out and, and everything. And oh, I feel nice. like he is. Um, yeah, he's so he's so good. Like in every role he plays, he is vastly different. And I know he's a massive uh, geek, uh, Star Wars geek, and and I don't know. I feel like he would fit really well into kind of a, a mold that you wouldn't really see coming and i feel like um he'd be perfect for it especially just with that love of stuff then we have wudok which could be michael mando who's from better call saul um i think he's got he's who is he in better call saul is his name nacho nacho yes oh i love nacho because i feel like he's got that those like piercing like blue eyes and he's got like those right i feel like he could play like uh as a brock like i feel like he would yeah. be kind of He's got like the heart of gold. He, you, for some reason, he's like everyone's favorite character in that show, even too. And yeah, I, I was about like, to say he was one of my favorite characters. Exactly, and he, he but he shouldn't Other be for Mike. some reason. Mike is right? everyone's favorite yes, character. Yeah. But. but like he shouldn't be your favorite character, right? Like it's like weird. It's like eh, he's well, yeah. If he goes back and forth, right? Technically, he's a bad guy, but he's a good bad guy. Are we talking an Iridonian Zabrak or Dathomirian? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Again, someone that looks like they shouldn't be nice, I guess, is the is the basis. That would be Dathomirian. Like the Darth Maul look as opposed to like yeah, the but not Kohler, like, I don't want, Yeah, I guess that's true. But I don't want necessarily to be full, you know, Savage Press or Darth Maul necessarily. But I guess, I guess, yeah, anything that looks unassumingly nice. Like, I guess like, that doesn't seem like that person would be great. Uh, Nolson, you'd have a great voice for that. Type yes, of I agree. Too. Thank you. I spent a lot of time on this cast. Nolson will be played by nobody because it's just what's up bleeps and bloops. Perfect. Haro, I really love Jonathan Groff. Going back to Hamilton uh, and Mindhunter. Oh, that's the, the first King. one I know. <laughs> Jonathan Groff is just so good. I think he also is able to play an inherent sadness to characters. Not the King though, in Hamilton, <laughs> uh, and he's just so good. And he's like, what else you, is he in other than Hamilton? Uh, Mindhunter is like my 
favorite thing he's in. He's also in Glee. Um, oh, he isn't Frozen, isn't he? He is in Frozen, yes, but Mindhunter. Have you watched Mind, Mindhunter? Oh, you, I have not, no. You would love it. It's very good. Um, but, yeah, he's, he can play like this sad, empathetic character uh, that you just want to succeed. That'll do good for your musical number that you have to fit in there, exactly. too. Exactly. For Levi, uh, Dominic Sessa, who is just in the movie The Holdovers, which is the Alexander Payne movie, which, which is coming out soon. Um, but I got to see it because it worked, and he's really good in it. Uh, and so I was just like, this guy's never acted in anything before, and I was my mind was blown. And then for Bryn... Why not throw Sadie Sink in there if the Duffer Brothers are directing it? Uh, you get a little throwback to, to that, and I feel like she can play that like kind of firecracky. Who is she? Is uh, she in... Ma- uh, Max from Stranger Things. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's kind of like firecracky, angry, uh, really good actor. She plays in The Whale, and she's got some a lot of acting chops. Chops. Sorry. Rounding the corner, I swear. Obik. Uh, Hamish Linklater from Midnight Mass and Big Short and Gaslit. He's such a good actor. He can play funny. He can play scary. Reno. Jamie Clayton from Hellraiser. She played the priest, which is so creepy. Like the, like Pinhead um, from uh, Hellraiser, the new one. Um, Vero. Uh, uh, Matthias uh, Schwaghofer, I think is his name, um, who plays Diedrich in Army of the Dead and Army of Thieves. If you guys have seen those on Netflix. Mm-mm. Oh, they're so good. They did this thing where... Zack Snyder directed Army of the Dead with like Batista and stuff. And it's a zombie apocalypse movie, and they go and rob a bank during the zombie apocalypse and get all the money. Um, and it's well, I don't want to spoil it, but anyway, at, in that movie, there's the safe cracker, and it's this German guy. And they randomly dropped a movie a month later uh, called Army of Thieves, and it's about him, like a year before the zombie apocalypse broke out, and it's about him. Robbing banks. So and it's in the same universe, but no one even knew that was happening. Yes. And then, like, at the very end, it's like hints of the zombie apocalypse happening, but it's very good. That's an interesting and, structure. Yes. And this this guy just, like, blew my mind how good he is acting-wise, and he also directed Army of Thieves. And he's, like, a German guy, and he's kind of like Jack, so he's, like, a little... He's, like He can, like, definitely throw down and look kind of creepy, so I feel like he could be Vero, who is the overarching villain, sets up for the next trilogy or spinoff shows. And then Brock Arum who I imagine is the, the leader of this Dark Council, could be Jesse Plemons, because Jesse Plemons is so good in everything he does. I like him. Breaking Bad, I'm thinking of anything, Game Night, he can play anything. So That's the first one I might disagree with you on. I haven't really? known like half of the people that you said, but I do not see him playing a villain. What? You must be thinking of the wrong person then. Yeah, Jesse have you... Plemons? He's like the, the fat guy from Game Night? Yeah, and Todd from Todd, Breaking yeah. the Most Bad Guy in that movie? No, but that was like. Show? I mean, he's he's like such like a baby face though. Like, oh, he's so good. Wow. I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, he I, kills I, a kid, so like obviously he's a bad guy. Yeah. But I, mean, I don't see a... him like the actor as being a bad guy. I am all the way on your side, Matt. Thank you. I think he would be a great villain. You yeah. know who I think would be a great villain? Hmm. So scratch your idea. Get this guy instead. <laughs> who was the uh, dad from This Is Us? Sterling K. Brown. Yeah, what, no, what the, I like him too, the, but he would be a Mio something. Um, Mandy Moore's husband. Yeah, me. Oh, from from Gilmore Girls. Yeah, yeah. what's his name? There's no way you're gonna. I, no, no, nobody can pronounce it. It's unfathomable. That's what I thought. Milo I think it's, the, oh, uh, Milo, Milo. It's Milo something. Yeah, Milo something. Yeah. I always, every time I look at him, I'm like, mm, there's something behind those he eyes. He's very he could good. Play a but so that's the thing. That is a very good casting, Maxwell. I think as well. Um, yeah, I'll scratch Jesse Plemons. But no, right, Jesse, no, Jesse Plemons is, is so good, though. I don't think I could. But like, that's the thing with the cast is I hate reading cast lists too, where it's just like, who should join? Who should be Star Wars? It's like Idris Elba, Tom, you know, like Tom Hanks, Jesus. But yes, yeah, or Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, all yeah. these like A list mm-hmm. actors that are just like that's not what makes Star Wars Star Wars, right? Like, the, like half the people I named are only in a couple things, right? Or like, 
like again, like uh, Matisse Rolfhofer. Like it's like wh- why? Like that that's that that's the kind of level of person you should go through for that is like is underrated, but that can like soar in Star Wars, not like let people down or something. That is some high class actor. That's why I'm very excited for the upcoming Skeleton Crew because it's being led by Jude Law, which I feel like is very un Star Wars of them. But it's not becoming that, right? Because now it's like when you think of like the or the sequel trilogy, it's like they have tent poles, right? Oscar Isaacs is like more of a name but they also have john boyega who's like more of a you know british actor from like attack the block and stuff who is around but not like super famous yet you know you have uh daisy ridley who was like pretty low-key at the time as well but then you do have these huge actors also like you have um domino gleason yeah i feel like you then you have like i already said i mean you have andy circus you have all these people kind of tying it together andy circus was a pretty big name and then you get richard e grant in 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 rise of skywalker and i feel like then the cast just keeps kind of getting bigger and bigger through people obviously kenobi you know we have obviously ian mcgregor that's not his fault but then you know even in ahsoka we're getting mary he was a big name though in the phantom menace exactly uh, well, Liam Neeson was there. That's true, but he was also just like in Train Spotting, so he was in these underground like indie movies too, and so it, it, that's a perfect person at the time. Not you know, Kenobi is like it's not his fault obviously, but then Natalie Portman was maybe the only very famous twelve-year-old girl yes, in the world yep, in the nineties. Yep. Leon the Professional and stuff. So I just watched Leon the Professional recently. It's very good. I did not care for it. What? <laughs> too old. I'm with you. Damn it. it! It you know I respect that it was probably like one of the oh. first movies to play out that that story but yeah like that baby cub taken yeah. in under on someone else's wing like yeah it was just i don't is know is he a lone wolf that learns to love yes exactly hey. oh. thank you that's a much better way of phrasing but that done, thank you but 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 done so long ago um the, yeah, it was probably so just the first one to do i don't know story. if if you um uh, in not to talk about my own movie that i made but in obscura did you notice that dialogue straight from your mouth what anything what, what pre two s or no I go was a bust that. for me. Joel's character yeah. That it, is yes. that is a Luke Taylor line that I stole. <laughs> there are so many elements that I was waiting. Not to get we can talk about this off pod too, but there are so many elements that like we had a screening uh last Saturday and we I we had a bunch of family and friends there and I realized I was not nervous until the day of where I'm just like everyone's gonna call me at my bullshit because there are so many things in here that uh, everyone else knows about that nobody else will out of this group mm-hmm. and i was so nervous I, I that everyone was going to call that stuff out and i no did one think did. about that i was wondering if i inspired that line <laughs> i'm so did. glad that i did you did indeed my friend anyway that's my trilogy for those of you that haven't seen matt's movie that was the uh, hero of the movie that said that and he was <laughs> not the juvenile uh comedic comedic relief <laughs> yes oh man anyway that's my trilogy i like it it um was a little hard to follow because you had so many character names mm-hmm. that I wasn't able to associate with the characters, but I really like the setting and the idea of the Jedi, like lore-wise. Mm-hmm. That it's more of like a hereditary thing because Star Wars fans have a real stick up their ass about it <laughs> being uh, hereditary with the midichlorians or spiritual, but it's always been hereditary. Like Since the dawn of Star Wars, mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker was... Darth Vader's son, and that's why he's a big deal. And <laughs> I like that theme going forward. Oh, good old Nepo baby. But you right don't there. have to make you don't have to name midichlorians, but just still make it a family thing. It just makes sense that way. I agree. I also really like the ensemble cast aspect. I Matt and I talk about it a lot. Like Star Wars shows in particular should move much more towards an ensemble where it's like, oh, this episode we got to follow this character a lot. Not like the same. I don't want like the same like. Uh, game of thrones style violence or like sexuality or anything like that 
But I would like a Star Wars show in the vein of Game of Thrones where there's just a bunch of characters and you like invest in them slowly over time and they're all kind of doing different things but overlap yes. constantly. Yeah, they're starting to do that a little bit. Like most of the shows are like just the Obi-Wan show, the Ahsoka show. But, you know, in Mandalorian, we had that one episode solely about Dr. Penn Pershing and Elia Kane. So That's true. And I think that was probably like our favorite episode. Like when we did that, Matt and I were like, oh, they're finally favorites. doing something different. In this I one. love it. I like yes, that. exactly. I have a lot more to go into. I did. I was so thrown off by your trilogies, which I liked. <laughs> I liked a lot, but I was so ready, I was so ready to discuss. They were very different. Of the three trilogies, I feel like yours is definitely the most likely to be made. If that were yes, yours is the most akin to an actual trilogy. Yeah, yeah. I want to write this with you guys now too, but it's another Star Wars thing. Um. But anyway, does anyone have any force for thought before we wind down? I do. I um, saw a post on social media recently with the SAG after strike coming to a close. I think the actors are allowed to start talking about their projects, but I haven't seen like enough to like actually think that's what's happening. But yeah, I've seen a little that's... bit. But I saw an interview with uh, Ariana Glean- Greenblatt, who played young Ahsoka in the mm-hmm. Ahsoka show. Hmm. And we talked about briefly how we thought she was a great actress and did a great job. And Barbie. But, oh, I didn't know that. But she was talking in this interview that um, her character of Ahsoka is... You know, physically young Ahsoka from the Clone Wars, but mentally Rosario Dawson's Ahsoka. So she had to kind of channel Ashley Eckstein and Rosario Dawson and make it her own character all in the span of like five or ten minutes of being on screen. And I think that is just such a uniquely difficult challenge as an actor. And we we mentioned like just offhand, they're like, yeah, she did a good job. But that was a really hard task that she had to do. That is insanely hard. It's a little things like that. Mm-hmm. That are I can't I can't fathom being an actor and again th- thinking, think getting that mental space to be able to do that is insane. Yeah, I agree. Well, let us know what you think. Let us know uh, what trilogy you want to see made, or let us know what trilogy you want made. Tell us your ideas. Tell us which ideas are good, which are bad, which are funny, and which are in between. You can reach out to us uh, across all social media platforms: Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, uh, email. Email, yeah, you can shoot us an email. And um, we will respond eventually. I think I can uh, confidently say that our email um, from fans have been my favorite interaction so far. Because you can, you can say whatever you want. It's the it most intimate. Have, yeah, yes. it's not confined to 280 characters or a comment, you know. It's not meant to be sassy or tell us we're not Swifties or a seat is not taken up by someone <laughs> who doesn't care about it. Matt's very bitter about that it's, one video. <laughs> I am, because I just keep commenting back. It's like, no, we are. This is the podcast. Why are you here? It's a it, bit. I know I know the trolls aren't actually listening to the podcast, but boy, if they were and they knew how much they get to you, they would come at you so much harder. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't care that much. But no, I agree. <laughs> the email is great because I was it's also very nice because it's directed us. Anyway. See you, Sammy. 